So the question I want to kick off our time with is this. It's a really important question for us to ask ourselves every once in a while in life, and that is, why did you come here today? Why are you here? It's good to ask those introspective questions and, and try to figure it out. You and I sacrifice this like window, one hour, two hours, three, four hours of our Sunday mornings. And some of our peers and friends think that's kind of crazy, right? You only have so much time on a weekend and to give up that sweet spot of your weekend, like why would anyone do that? And so why do you do it? Why did you come here today? Pew Research uh, did a study recently and they asked people just that question, why do you gather for religious services? And the number one answer is very encouraging, and it is to become closer to God. So there's probably a, a lot of different ways we might all say something similar to that this morning as we go around, or maybe you had a different reason as well. There are lots of good reasons to come to church, um, but to become closer to God is really good reason. And Psalm 122 that we're going to look at this morning, I think is going to give us a little more language. It's going to fill that answer out a little bit more. But hopefully that is why we came here this morning. It, our church is going through a series right now through the Psalms of Ascent. This is a section of the book of Psalms in our Bibles that the people of God would sing on their way to worship in Jerusalem. And so we've entitled this series, Worship on the Way, to hopefully remind ourselves that we don't just worship when we're together at church, but we're worshiping all along the way, even on the way to church. So that's the Psalms of Ascent. Today is Psalm 122. And in this psalm, we're going to read it together. What we're going to see is that the psalmist is so happy to come to the house of the Lord because in the house of the Lord, he finds a sense of belonging and unity, and it also gives him a sense of purpose as he leaves. So we'll see that as we read through it, and we'll unpack those two ideas as we, as we read it together and talk about it. So Psalm 122, we have it for the screens. I'm going to read it for you out of the English Standard Version, and this is what it says. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So as we look at this this morning, we're going to see, hopefully, that some of it's strange language, it's poetic, but I hope we can see the sense of unity and belonging that we get as we come together, and then the sense of purpose as we leave. But it all starts with an invitation. It all starts with an invitation in verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We believe this psalm was written by David. And so David is saying, here I was, and some folks came up to me, my brothers, and they said, let's go together to the house of the Lord. So the whole thing starts with an invitation to come to the house of the Lord. Church is something that we do together. Church isn't something we do alone. Now, if you came here by yourself, that's not what I mean. I'm happy that you came here by yourself. What I'm saying is you, this church experience that we have together, the gathered worship is something we do together. God can speak to us all alone by ourselves, but that's not what this psalm is talking about. 
This psalm is talking about the special thing that happens when we come together to the house of the Lord with others and what we experience as we do become closer to God and closer to one another. So it starts with this invitation. We no longer gather in Jerusalem. This was written thousands of years ago to the people of God in a different time. But I think it's fair to say as we move through the psalm, they went to Jerusalem to celebrate who God is and what he has done. Where do I go to gather with others and to celebrate God for who he is and what he has done? Oh, I come to church. And so as we read through the psalm, that's the idea that we're pairing up is that this is where they went. That was their house of the Lord. This is where I go. And so as we think about that, we need to invite people to come with us. I was thinking this week, I don't know if anyone has ever invited me to church. Now, it's not as bad as it sounds because I'm a pastor's kid. So people just knew, I guess. And my parents didn't invite me to church. They said, you're going to church, which is different than an invitation. Um, Then in college, maybe someone invited me to church. I have no memory of it. So I'm trying to think to myself as I'm preparing this, what's it like to be invited to go to church? I imagine it would be intimidating. I would imagine you don't know anybody there, so it feels weird. You feel all alone. You don't know what the normal rhythms are. You don't know like what this subculture is like, and so it's an intimidating place to come into, I would imagine. The only parallel that I could think of as I was trying to think of something that's similar that I've been invited to, and I thought of the gym. So for 40 years of my life, I have thought to myself, the gym is a good place. I know people go to the gym for good reasons. It seems like there's community at the gym, healthy things happen, I should go to the gym. But nobody ever invited me to my memory to go to the gym with them, and so I will blame them for the 40 years of my life that I didn't go to the gym. However, a little over a year ago, a friend of mine sitting across from me at breakfast said, you should go to the gym with me. I was like, well, I don't know. Like, there's so I don't know how to use the machines. I don't know if people there. I don't know. Like, what do you do and what exercises? And he's like, no, 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 come with me. I will take you. I'll show you how the machines work. I'll, I'll work out with you. I'll show you the exercises to do. I'll be right with you the whole way. And so I went to the gym with him, and I've going, been going over the last year. We're supposed to confess our sins to one another, so I haven't been to the gym in a number of weeks. But I intend to go after vacation, get back on rhythm. But it's intimidating, right? The question of all that that is embedded in there is, are there people in your life, are there people in my life who would like to be where we are right now but just feel too intimidated to walk in on their own? Are there people in your life and in my life that if I would invite them, they would actually come? Are there people around us in our network of relationships who are just like, I would go if someone invited me, but nobody's invited me. Someone once said, and it's always stuck in my head, everybody likes to be invited to the party. They can say no for themselves, but everybody's honored if you say to them, I wish you would come with me to that space. And so it all starts with an invitation. And as we gather here together, what is special about this place, or one of the things that's special about this place that's being highlighted in Psalm 122, is that this is a place where we can belong, a place where there's unity, and human beings want to belong. It's a core, basic human need. We want to find a place where we belong, people that we belong with. We want to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Just think of that teenager that moves across the country to a foreign city and has to now start school in a high school where they don't know anyone, and they walk into that space, and what are they hunting for? A place where they can belong. 
No, most of us in the room are past that. Most of us have pushed that down and buried those feelings. But they're still there. They're at the core of every human being. It's why we seek out people that are like-minded with us. It's why we pursue relationships with people that have shared goals, shared interests, shared worldviews, shared political affiliations. We deep down desperately want a place where we can belong. And so your friend, whoever it is that you might be able to invite, they want to find a place where they can belong. And so who could you invite to belong at Northgate with you? It starts with an invitation. From the invitation, then, the next chunk of verses, verses 2 to 5, he's sort of giving us a picture of what it's like to experience the unity that is at the house of the Lord. So in verses 2 to 5, it says, Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. If we just look at those verses 2 to 3, we ask ourselves this question. How is going to church like going to Jerusalem? So these pilgrims are making their way to Jerusalem to go, and maybe they're going to a festival or a feast in Jerusalem. And as they approach the city, it sits up on a hilltop. They can see it in the distance, and they look at it, and they say, Oh, Jerusalem, look at your gates. I'm standing in your city now, and I'm noticing that it is just bound firmly together. How are we supposed to take that idea and apply it to church? I guess when you walk in, you should appreciate the architecture. That's like not probably the best application, but you are welcome to do so. Um, I think it's probably more like this. I think probably what we're working with here is a bit of a spiritual metaphor from the psalmist, the poet. And he's saying, just like this city is bound together in unity, it's a well-laid-out city, so it is as I go and worship. It is just a unified experience. This language that we have translated um, in these verses of bound firmly together, other translations say closely compacted together. Others say firmly joined together. But my favorite is the translation that says a city united together. So it seems as if the architecture of the ancient city of Jerusalem was a picture of unity. The architecture of the ancient city of Jerusalem was a city built of stones, large stones and small stones, keystones, foundation stones, cornerstones. Think about that and then read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, and the apostle Peter will tell you that you are a stone, that each of us are spiritual stones, and God is building us together into a spiritual house. So now we just work that metaphor a little bit. God here, you're a stone and I'm a stone. He's shaping us together into a spiritual house. What are cities made up of? A whole bunch of spiritual houses. And so as we look at the church, which is bigger than Northgate Church, there are hundreds of churches in Pittsburgh. There are thousands in our state. There are hundreds of thousands in our country. There are millions around the world. Spiritual houses joined together into the city of Jerusalem that should be looked at and say, wow, look how unified that is. Look at the global universal church. All the churches together. That is a picture of unity. Said very few people probably in recent years, or I don't know if ever, I don't think it's a common view of the universal global church. I don't hear it very often. That when I look at the global church, I see unity. Normally, when we're talking about the universal church, we often will talk about all the things that separate us, all of our divisions, all the things we disagree about. But I wonder if what we're supposed to do as we go to church, as we approach Jerusalem, we're supposed to say, oh, wow, look how unified the universal global church is around the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We're joined together. We're unified together. I think, at least in Pittsburgh, what can happen is rather than see unity, we see competition. We can fall into this trap really easily where it's like, oh, that other church, that's our competitor. No, it's not. That other church, that's our partner. That's, that's another spiritual house in our city, and we're all working towards the same good. So let me just give real crystal clear clarity on this. Allegheny Center Alliance Church is just a couple miles down the road, meeting right now. Not a competitor. True North Church, another mile in the other direction. Not a competitor. Northway, Orchard Hill, New Community. We could name churches for the next five minutes. We are not in competition with them. We are partners with them for the sake of the gospel, for the good of our city, so that people might look at Pittsburgh and say, look at the unity of the churches in that city as I approach the house of the Lord to worship. And that makes me glad. And that spirit, that's why we gathered together a year ago and went through what was really just, uh, I thought, an unenjoyable experience. We gathered together a year ago in the heat of July to Heinz Field with hundreds of other churches in our city to pray for our city. As a spirit of unity, we went there to say, like, you know what? We are unified. And I sat in a horrible section where I couldn't hear anything from the stage, and the sun was baking me, and I felt like I was going to die. <laughs> However, we went there to say, no, like, we can be unified. There can be unity in the church. Jesus' prayer for us in John 17, 20 to 23, he prayed these words, I pray that those who will believe in me, that's you and I, I pray that those who will believe in me, that all of them may be one, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. The world should be able to look at the church and see unity like a city firmly joined together. And Jesus says, that's how the world will know about my love. So we have some work to do, but I think the psalmist is trying to say, as we approach church, one of the things that brings joy to our hearts is to know that we're not just a part of this church, but we are spiritual stones all linked together in spiritual houses that make up a city, and it brings us joy to know that we are unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the unity and the sense of belonging that I think he's going after with this architecture language of a metaphor. But then he goes on to say, we're firmly bound together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. So how is our attendance at church on Sunday like the attendance of the tribes at a festival in Jerusalem for worship? Well, the, if you go back thousands of years and if you look at a map of Israel, what you would see is that there are 12 tribes and they would all be laid out like the United States has 50 states and you can see on a map all the different 50 states. In this similar way, the nation of Israel was made up of these 12 tribes. And there is a bit of a similarity between the history of America and the history of Israel and that is that all of our states haven't always gotten along, have they? And we have disagreed to such an extent that we have broken out in civil war against one another. And the same is true of the history of Israel. The tribes had such a hard time getting along that at various times they would war with one another. And most notably, the nation splits between the ten tribes of the north and the two tribes of the south. Civil war breaks out and there's a divided kingdom. The point is this. It's difficult for the tribes to come together. They come together from different places with different values and different points of view. But it brings David joy to think of going to the house of the Lord because he knows that the tribes will gather and we will be unified around our Lord and Savior that we worship. 
And that's what we do together as a church. That's what brings my heart joy as I think about gathering here with you. As I look around the room, there's all different colors of people. There's different cultures present in the room. We come from different places in our city. We come from different socioeconomic statuses. We have different views on how to raise our children. We have different views on what we should be eating and drinking. We have just countless different views on politics and worldview and different things. But what unifies us together is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we sing about and we pray about and we fellowship around. That brings me joy because I look around the room, I know that some of us in the room would never be friends. We would never know each other. We would never come together if it wasn't for this gathered worship experience in the house of the Lord. And that makes my heart glad that we get a chance to do that together. We find our sense of unity amidst all the diversity we unify around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so thank you for coming here each week. Thank you for doing that. It's not always easy. And it wasn't always easy for the 12 tribes to come together, but we do it. Why? Why do we do it? That's the next part. Why do we do it? Well, it's because it was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. It was decreed for Israel to come together and give thanks to the Lord. You know what it doesn't say in there? Why did they come together to Jerusalem? Because they felt like it. Not what it says. Hopefully they felt like it. But it doesn't say that. We live in a time and a culture where it's normal for us to have a conversation like this. Um, You want to come to church on Sunday? You going to come? I don't feel like it. Oh, yeah. If if you don't feel like it, I totally understand. You going to come praise God? We're going to go in there and sing. You want to come in and sing with us? Uh, I don't feel like singing. I don't don't feel like singing those songs. I don't don't feel like singing. Oh, I totally get it. If you don't feel like praising God, then you shouldn't praise God. I understand how that makes sense in a certain way. There's a way in which that makes sense, but there's a whole other way that is totally illogical. You cannot take that logic and apply it into other categories of your life. If I say to you, you say to me, you're going to love your wife this week? I don't really feel like it. (laughs) Don't feel like it. Oh, if you don't feel like it, then you shouldn't do it. Oh, thank you, thank you. I I feel like loving this other woman this week. (laughs) Oh, yeah, if you feel that way. Like, Like, that is absurd. And yet, for some reason, in this other category, we totally affirm it. Oh, yeah, 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 if you don't feel like it. God wants your heart. God does want your heart. That's a different sermon for a different time. He wants your heart. But listen, he wants your obedience, He wants you to obey what he has decreed for you to do. And I know it's an interesting conversation, and we should think about, well, where's the line between obedience and hypocrisy? You can tell a child to sit down, but they're still standing up in their heart. What ground have you gained? Those are very interesting conversations that we can have. But listen, if you don't feel like obeying God, but you do because you want to, like, appease his anger, or you want to win his favor, or you want to look good in front of other people, then you have a whole host of problems. you got to work through a whole bunch of motivations that are mixed up inside of you. But if you don't feel like obeying God, and then you do out of a sense of honor and loyalty, because you've decided that you're going to obey him regardless of how you feel, oh, that's excellent. That is to be uh, championed. And also keep this in mind, too. I live uh, uh, right off of a high river boulevard, a very busy road. 
So I've told my kids, this is what you're going to do. You're going to obey me, and you're not ever going to go into Ohio River Boulevard. You're not going to chase a ball down into High River Boulevard. You're not going to just ride your bike right across the street. We'll go to the crosswalk. We'll push the button, and we cross over High River Boulevard. Now, they obey me, and they're all bitter and angry. They obey me, and they're confused as to why they can't just go get the ball. Let me just be quite frank with you, and maybe this isn't how God feels, but this is how I feel. I don't care how you feel. I don't care if you're bitter at me or angry at me or confused by my rule. You just need to do it because I know it's best for you. And if you will obey me and feel bitter or angry or confused, you're still not getting hit by a car. So here's the point. God knows what's best for you. And when you obey him, then you're following him into a space that is best for you. And that might feel different ways to you at different times. But the principle is obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so why do we gather at church? Why do we praise God? Out of obedience. Out of obedience. And hopefully that obedience is coming from a heart that is so moved by who God is and what God has done for me that I gladly obey as an act of worship for him, even when I don't feel like it. So we gather to worship. We gather to sing God's praise. But then verse 5 mentions uh, their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. What do we do with that? Okay. The pilgrims come into Jerusalem. They're coming to the festival. And they know that the the temple's there. And they're going to worship God in the temple. But they also know that's where King David is. That's why it references the thrones of David, the house of David. So they know that this pilgrimage to Jerusalem is where they will gather and sing the praises to God, but they also know the king's throne is there. And the king's throne is from where he decrees justice. And so there is this this joy in thinking about coming to Jerusalem because you know that's where the throne of judgment is. Someone is going to define what is right. Their decisive word is going to be given to us. So how do we apply this in the context of our gathered worship in the house of the Lord? I think it's pretty obvious God is our king and our king has spoken he has given us his judgment and it's recorded in his inspired word and so when we gather at the house of the Lord we do praise him but we also look to his decreed word his decreed judgment it has flowed from his throne to us and as we've talked about before living in a time in which it's very confusing to know what is right and what is wrong We live in this time where everyone decides what is right in their own eyes. And if everyone is a judge, then no one's a judge. And the rules of our society are confusing because what I understand as I listen to society is that there's no absolute truth except one absolute truth, and that is that there is no absolute truth. And so it's frustrating because you just can't figure out, well, if your truth is true, my truth is true, I just don't don't know how to operate in this context of our society. So in the midst of chaos and confusion, in the midst of our society, I am glad when someone says, let's go to the house of the Lord. Why? Because I know that at the house of the Lord, the decrees of the Lord are going to flow down from the throne of his judgment. We're going to hear his word. He's going to define right and wrong. He's going to tell me what is true. And then I can go out there back into a confusing world and I can know, I know what truth is. I know what right and wrong is. I can define it and I can follow the path that Jesus lays out for me. And so I'm glad when they say, well, let's go to the house of the Lord 
Because I know this ancient document that is the inspired word of God that has miraculously stood the test of time will be shared with me and I will hear these righteous judgments from the throne of God. I will be reminded of my identity. I will be reminded of where I belong and I will be reminded of what my purpose is. The word of God is our throne of judgment. So what happens when we gather at the house of the Lord? We find a place to belong. And we have unity. We gather together, but we don't find our unity in all of our tribalism. We find our unity around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for all of our differences, we are unified and we belong here together. And what do we do? We praise God and we hear his truth taught. That's why we come with our minds shifting now to leaving, though. That's how the psalm concludes. It gives us a sense of purpose as we leave the house of the Lord. So as we leave here today, the psalmist says, listen, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. We're going to just summarize that section as saying we should pray for peace, we should speak peace, and we should seek peace. We should pray for it. We should use words that promote it. And we should, with our actions, we should do good. We should seek the good of the people that are around us. These are very simple applications for us. What makes it a little more complex is peace in the ancient Hebrew language, we've talked about this before, is the word shalom. And so this word shalom isn't just meaning the absence of conflict. We're actually praying for peace and speaking words of peace. These are words that are about completeness, wholeness, welfare, security, prosperity. It's a big, big word that we summarize as peace. And that's what we are praying for and seeking and speaking about. But I can't just send you out of here with that level of application because it might do you a disservice. Because pretty much everyone is moving at noon into a new space, whether it's Northgate Church or somebody in one of these houses. We're all moving out of somewhere at, at noon, right? We're, we're moving out somewhere, and we're all seeking peace. And we would all agree we should pray for peace. And we would all agree that we need to speak words for peace. We would all agree. That's part of the chaos and confusion that we're living in. It's because here's what we do. We say, like, yes, we want peace. It's the highest priority. Peace at any cost. Well, there's a disagreement here. Okay, how can we get peace in this disagreement? Listen, you're right and you're right. You're both right, okay? Now we have peace, don't we? We say, like, oh, you can't say that. Don't, don't say that. That doesn't lead to peace. So you're not allowed to say that, and that's how we're going to keep peace. Those are the words I'm going to use. You see, how we apply the, the words for peace, the prayers for peace, and the actions for peace, this is really important. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say my son Henry is out at the baseball field playing a baseball game, and some kind of conflict breaks out, right? Some play doesn't go right, and they're having a fight. I can, I can pray, God, bring peace to that fight. And I can try and use words that try and help explain what just happened. And I can go and get involved and, and get between people and, and try to do actions and seek people's good. But do you know what that needs? That situation needs a rule book and an umpire. Peace comes from the rule book and the umpire. Peace just doesn't come from nice prayers and nice words. Peace comes from understanding the rule book 
and knowing who the umpire is who will then apply that truth. That's what people need. They need to understand the rule book and they need to know the umpire. And so at the risk of sounding cliche, and what I'm about to say is the very definition of cliche, let me give you a bumper sticker. (laughs) No God, no peace. It's true, N-O. If you have no God, then you have no peace. K-N-O-W, no God and no peace. No Jesus and no peace. I know it's cliche, but it's also true. You can't seek peace apart from Jesus because we have to have an umpire. We have to have a rule book that we're all seeking the peace through. And so with that in mind, as we pray this week, we should pray for peace. But you know what we should pray for? that they would meet the Prince of Peace. We should be praying that the individuals in our lives or in our broader context, that they would know peace, that they would know the peace that passes all understanding. And we should speak words of peace. But you know what the psalmist actually says there? He says, I will say, peace be within you. Because that's what people need. They need peace within them. They need Jesus within them. They need the Holy Spirit within them. So I will speak words to try to make it so that my friend can have a relationship with Jesus so that peace can supernaturally be within him. And I will seek their good. I will seek their peace. How am I going to define good? How do I know what's good for my friend? How do I know what's good for this situation? Well, we just have to keep looking back to God's word. And trying to understand it. And so now our application as we leave here today has much more specific. We pray for peace and we speak peace and we seek peace as it relates to Jesus, right? We're seeking Jesus to have a relationship in, our, in our, the lives of the people that are in our networks. I desperately want to belong. I desperately want to have a sense of purpose in my life. And I desperately want to experience peace. So I am glad when someone says to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Because what I hear is, let's go somewhere where we can belong and have unity despite all of our differences. Let's go somewhere where we can unify around the praise for who God is and what he has done. Let's go somewhere we can be reminded of what truth is. And then as we leave there, we can leave with a sense of purpose. I will leave here as an ambassador for the peace of Jesus Christ. And I will be an influence to that in society. I want to invite the worship team to come and join me on the stage. I invited them to to sing a song so that we could go out of here on a real high note. So that we could sing what is true. Whether you feel it or not. But I hope you feel it because that would be the best case scenario. That there is joy in the house of the Lord. That's the name of the song. We want to speak this truth into this room. There is joy in the house of the Lord today. Let me pray for us before we sing it together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together in the house of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you give us your word and you give us directions like this that we are to praise you. So with grateful hearts, Lord, we give you this song. And we thank you for this community. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for your peace. And Lord, I ask that you give us all a sense of purpose as we leave here in just a moment, that we would live our lives as ambassadors for your peace. Lord, we give you our lives. We give you this song. We do have joy in our hearts, Lord, that we can be here with you and with your family today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. I hope you can take some of that joy out of here today to people that need to see it and hear it and experience it. Let me pray our benediction for us. Heavenly Father, as we go out from here today, I pray 
that we would be ambassadors for peace. Lord, give us the words. Help us see what we can do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.